0: The following is a message from our 10-week series, Hashtag Happy. For more, visit LinworthRoadChurch.com. This week, and I realized, man, our church really stinks. It's, it's actually a pretty lame church. You know, I, I, I begin to think of, a, of, of the size of church that we are, and I, I realize, you know, we're only about three to 400 adults. I mean, we're never going to be as big as Vineyard or as big as Zenos or many others. But not only that, I realize we're not even a cool church. I mean, look, look around at yourselves. <clears throat> I mean, the reality is is that we're never going to be as cool or as attractive as a place like Rock City. And not only that, but besides me, all of our pastors are really old. See, this isn't going to plan. I, I, this is supposed to be a serious, negative, critical moment, and you guys are laughing. You're ruining it. But besides me, all of our pastors are in their 50s and 60s, and most of them have gray hair or no hair at all. And then just look outside. You know, we, we recently paved this parking lot, but we didn't even do the whole thing. I mean, what's up with that? You know, I was recently at a, I was there at a birthday party at another church recently, and they had this amazing uh, jungle gym thing. I mean, it was like seriously better than anything out of Magic Mountain, and yet about the best thing we have going here for us is a, a sailboat with a bunch of balls in it in the toddler room. And so again, as I thought about our church this week, I just thought, you know, we, we stink. We're lame. Now again, you, you weren't supposed to laugh. I didn't anticipate there being laughing, and, but what I was trying to do there was, was, was through negativity and criticism, change the atmosphere in this room. You know, you guys were most likely encouraged and joyful coming off of, of, of singing. The band did such a wonderful job this morning in leading us. Uh, you got to see some cute babies get dedicated. You got to hear that great classic by the turtles, Happy Happy Together. And yet, here I come with my criticism, with my negativity about our church, and I, I, I was attempting to suck the air out of the room, or the joy out of the room. In fact, maybe I even began to influence and, and cause you to think some critical thoughts about our church. So let me try this again. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Lomberth Road Church. You know, I, I was thinking about our church this week, and I was thinking, man, we are so blessed. By God's grace, we have an amazing church. I mean, we're a mid-sized church. We're like three to 400 adults. But by God's grace, we have planted 14 different churches. And many of those churches have gone on to plant other churches. And so, you know, even though we're a, a relatively mid-sized to small church, we've had a pretty big impact on the kingdom of God these last 40 years. You know something else? I, I was thinking about how uh, cool Rock City is, and, and man, God is doing some amazing things through them, and I'm, I'm so glad they're in our city. I'm, I'm so thankful for the work that they're doing. But as I thought about it, I, I realized, you know, because of either where we're located or the style of church that we have, there are people that, that we're going to be able to reach that, that they might not be able to, and so praise God for them and praise God for us. We both have work to do. You know, I was thinking about our fellow pastors this week, and I just realized how blessed we are as a church to have these men leading us, and how privileged I feel to get to to learn alongside of them and to, to serve alongside of them in this cause of Christ. Each of these men have poured their lives into our church in such sacrificial ways. And as someone who gets to interact with them a lot, I can tell you, even though you don't need me to tell you, but I can tell you that these men are the real deal, And personally, I love the fact that they're in their 50s and 60s, because when we meet together for uh, elders meetings, when we make decisions that affect you, that affect this church, in that room, there's over 317 years of experience. And so you can do the math there. There's six of us. Um, But I love that. That's a lot of wisdom in one room. That's a lot of experience. And you know, I was thinking about that parking lot this week. I was just thinking, man, I love our church. You guys have a body as a body have been so generous in your giving and in your tithing. And, and our elders, and in particular, Bob Waldman, has, has been so wise in handling our finances that, that we're able to uh, pave that parking lot in two phases and actually pay cash. And so we don't have to take a loan or try to raise money some other way. And so as I look at that parking lot, I get so encouraged because of what it represents. In fact, I love it so much. I came here the other day with my five-year-old, and I brought my skateboard, and we had a really good time. Now, you should probably not do that because if you fall and break your wrist, you know, you'll sue us or whatever. But anyway, (laughs) I enjoy that parking lot. You know, lastly, I was thinking about our children's ministry. And I was thinking, man, we are so blessed with our cross-crew ministry. We have an awesome children's director in Lisa We have great teachers and volunteers who love and care for our kids so well. And you know what? My five-year-old, even though he's not in the toddler room anymore, when he uh, finds his way into that room, he still loves and runs straight for that sailboat ball pit every time. And so I am so thankful we have that ball pit. I'm so thankful. I love this church. And I'm so grateful to God for it. Okay, here's the thing. Everything negative I shared at the beginning and everything positive I shared are true, depending how you look at them. Except for maybe the cool thing. I, I like to think that we're still kind of, you know, we're trying. We attempt. And yet by sharing the negative or, or the critical, I brought the mood and the atmosphere down. Again, if you guys would have stopped laughing, it would have happened. I, I guess I have to be meaner, maybe, just, you know. But I trust anyway that by sharing the encouraging, by sharing the positive, I have been able to elevate the room. You see, I I believe that you and I, we each have the opportunity and even the choice to bring rooms down by our negativity and our criticism or to elevate rooms by our praise, by our encouragement, by our words of affirmation. So this morning, I want to piggyback on and and even expand some things that Chris shared last week. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about happy praise or happy affirmation or happy encouragement. In other words, I want to talk to you this morning about how to elevate the room. But before we move on, let's pray and ask the Lord to guide our time. Father, thank you. Thank you that this church, by your grace, is an awesome church. God, thank you by your grace we have been able to be used by you to impact the kingdom of God. And God, we trust and we believe that our best days are not behind us, but that they're ahead of us. God, that you're going to continue to use us and to work in us to bless this city and this uh, country and around the world. And so, Lord, we ask now that you would guide our time. God, that you would open up your word to us and, and have it affect and change our hearts. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Okay, well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 11. Uh, if you're using one of our pew Bibles, that's, that starts on page 919. And what we want to do today is we want to take a little bit of a look at the life of Barnabas. And we want to particularly drill down on one episode in his life that's found in Acts chapter 11. But before we dive in, I'm just curious. How, how many of you are following along in our Limworth Bible reading plan is. I'm not saying if you're faithful, but you're at least making the attempt to read a little bit. Well, I am too. And, uh, you know, this last week, uh, in the last two weeks, we've been in the book of Acts. And last week, as I was reading through Acts, I was just so struck by and even inspired by the life of Barnabas. You know, the first time we hear about this man is in Acts chapter 4. And in verse 36, we're, we're told this. It says, Thus Joseph who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. And so as we begin to take a look, walk down a journey into this brother's life, we learn right off the bat that his name is Joseph. But because of how he was as a person, because of how he carried himself, the apostles called him, they actually renamed him, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And so think about that. This guy, he is so affirming, he's so encouraging with his words to others that they actually give him a new name, the name son of encouragement. We also learn again when we're introduced with him that that he's also insanely generous and compassionate. He sold a field that he owned and he gave the money to the apostles so that they could distribute that out to those who had need. And so right from the beginning, we learn that this brother is a very special guy. And so what else do we learn about him? Well, the next time his name is mentioned is five chapters later in Acts chapter 9. And the context of Acts chapter 9 is that Saul, who would later be renamed Paul, was at this point in his life a bad dude. He was persecuting the church. He was arresting and and killing Christians. But in Acts chapter 9... Uh, the Lord Jesus intervenes. In Acts chapter 9, the Lord blinds him. And so he's on his way to Damascus to persecute and arrest some more believers, and yet Jesus steps in and blinds him and says, "Uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul's like, "Uh, who, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. And so in the irony of ironies, this guy who was on his way to arrest and to persecute Christians actually instead becomes one. Well, as you can imagine, the apostles and the early church followers, they, they were skeptical of Paul's conversion, to say the least. And so in verse 26 of chapter 9, we read this. And, he, and when he, Paul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him... And brought him to the apostles and declared to him on the road how he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And so we see here that Barnabas, and and Barnabas alone, was willing to take a risk and come alongside and even vouch for this former persecutor of the church. In other words, Barnabas loved God and he loved others so well that he was willing to take a risk on someone that no one else was. You see, this morning we're going to primarily focus on being an encourager through our words. But we learn here through this example that we can also encourage uh, people by our actions. And we can primarily encourage them by coming alongside of them, by, by supporting them. And we see Barnabas do this throughout his life. He, he does it with Paul here, but he does it later with a guy named John Mark. And I was thinking about it this week, and I realized that if Barnabas wasn't the kind of person that he was, we wouldn't have 14 of the 26 New Testament books. Paul himself wrote 13 letters, and John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. And so thank goodness for people, Well, I should say thank God, for people like Barnabas who are willing to take a risk and to come alongside and to be and encouragement. And so, as we continue on in our little uh, journey through Acts, we get to Acts chapter 10. And in Acts chapter 10, the story shifts back to Peter. And in Acts chapter 10, we see uh, God use Peter to open up the gospel to the Gentiles. And so, this is huge. This is a defining moment in the church, in our story of redemption. Because we find out that the gospel is no longer for Jews only, but that God has revealed that that his plan all along was to offer the gospel freely to everyone, everywhere, all nations. And so that's good news. That's particularly good news for you and I, because I'm assuming most of us in here are not of Jewish descent. And so thank God that he revealed this plan of the gospel. And so in Acts chapter 10, Peter, he goes to Cornelius' house. He uh, then preaches the gospel to these Gentile men and women, and they receive Christ. They accept Him. We're told that the Holy Spirit falls on them, that they get baptized. And so things are really, really good right now. And Peter is, uh, in that story, you just see how amazed he is by all that God is doing. And so he's excited. He's full of joy. Well, then we get to Acts chapter 11. And in Acts chapter 11, Peter has now returned back to Jerusalem. He's back at the church. And he all excitedly begins to tell them all that God has done. He begins to tell them, namely, that, that salvation is now for the Gentiles. But then in verse 2 of Acts chapter 11, we read this So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter again, or Peter began and explained it to them in order. So, in other words, what just happened there? Well, Peter was coming off this incredible, joyful experience, and he begins to try to tell his friends so that they can join him in that joy. But instead, we're told that the circumcision party criticized him. And then we're told that Peter begins to explain himself, or in other words, because of their criticism, Peter is now on the defense, and he begins to try to defend himself by explaining what happened to them in order. You see, these guys of the circumcision party, they through their criticism and negativity towards Peter, what they did was is they deflated the room. You see, because negativity and criticism it robs others of happiness because it puts them on the defense, like what we see with Peter, or it will cause them to shut down and stop talking. You know, have you ever been so excited to, to share some news with a friend or with a family member? And, and as you begin to share with them, they begin to criticize you. They begin to, to uh, uh, question you and question your intentions or question you even on the details. In other words, have you ever had them uh, steal your joy through their criticism and negativity? See, here's the thing: when someone shares news with us, or when someone shares good news with us, uh, there's basically four responses that we can have. Number one, we can respond with what's called active constructive. Active constructive occurs when we uh, share the happiness of the person telling us the news, and we respond enthusiastically by by asking for more details and by helping them savor the news. And so that would be like if your uh, son came up to you, your, your little boy, if my Hudson came up to me and was like, hey dad, you'll, you'll never believe it, I, I learned to write my name today. And I, I respond by saying, oh buddy, that, that's so awesome, I'm, I'm so proud of you. Uh, how, how did you do it, son? Was it, was it mom who showed you or was it your teacher? How, how did you learn how to do that? Oh, hey buddy, did you use a, did you use a pencil or a crayon when you wrote that name? Oh, man, you used red red crayon. That's my favorite color, buddy. I, I'm just so proud of you. You're doing such a great job. You could respond like that. That would be active constructive. Or you could respond a second way, which is called passive constructive. This is where the response is supportive but quiet and understated rather than excited and interested. So, again, my son comes up, and instead I say, Oh, uh, that's nice, son, and just, you know, move on. It's, that's nice. Or you respond a third way, which is active-destructive. And this is where the responder diminishes the person's news with critical and pessimistic comments. And that's what we see here in this story with Peter. These men of the circumcision party, that's exactly what they do. And so going back to our illustration with a, a son writing his name, it would be like you responding saying, Son, are you serious? I mean, look, you, you missed one of the letters in your name, and, and look, on the paper, your name's running down diagonal. Son, no, we write our names horizontal, not vertical. What are you doing? Oh, and look, you got crayon on the sofa. Go get a paper towel and clean it up. Now, maybe you're thinking, that's ridiculous. No dad would ever say that, but you might be surprised. A fourth way you could respond is passive-destructive. This is where the responder ignores the news completely and overlooks the person's feelings. And so again, back in our illustration here, it'd be like you saying, uh, your son saying, Dad, you'll never believe it. I, I, I learned to write my name today. And you respond by saying, Son, did you clean your room? Did you clean your room like I asked? And so you completely ignore the news and the child's feelings or the person's feelings so those are four ways that you and I can respond to people. And so stop and ask yourself, how do you typically respond? I know that when I stop and reflect on this, it's convicting, it's humbling, because I know that often to my shame, I respond with active destructive. And I do it particularly with those that I love the most. But by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I am pursuing someone who responds with active, constructive, because I believe that that is the most Christ-like response that we can have. You know, I shared in the first message of this series, Hashtag Happy, that, that I am often prone to being negative and critical. I, I even confess that I've had some interesting nicknames along the way, things like Negative Nick or Johnny Raincloud. Cloud. But I'm serious, the Lord has been doing some amazing work in my life recently. And the biggest thing that He has done is He has revealed that this is an issue in my life. You see, I have gone years and years with this being a blind spot. In fact, I probably would have thought of this mentality, this disposition as a virtue, not as a sin or something that I needed to change. You know, I probably would have thought, you know, I, no, actually, I'm, I'm really helping people by, by pointing out all of their flaws, by, by keeping them humble. You know, I, I'm helping people by being the theology police. And, and so if I'm at Bible study and Sally shares a wrong answer, it, it, I'm, I'm supposed to cut her down and tell her all the ways that she's wrong and how she doesn't understand the Bible. And yet through reading the Bible... And looking again at the life of Barnabas and, and, of course, looking at the life of Jesus and seeing how He responded to people. And by looking at other resources like The Happy Christian and, and other books. And honestly, by just having the Holy Spirit reveal to me how this sin affects my wife, my kids, my friends. And, and, and honestly, by God's grace, I've, I've come to realize just how damaging criticism is. But that's not all. I've also realized that there's power in praise. I've realized that there's power when we encourage one another. One another. In other words, I've come to see that, that just not being critical or negative is not enough. You see, we actually have to go beyond that and, and be an encouragement to others. You see, Chris mentioned a few weeks ago that his goal this next year is to bring energy to every situation, to every uh, room that he is a part of. Well, my goal this next year is similar. Mine is to elevate the room. My goal is to, uh, every situation that I go into, every meeting, every uh, conversation, I'm sure I'll fall short, but my goal is to go in there and praise and encourage others. In other words, I don't want to, to continue to suck the air out of the room with my negativity. You see, for far too long, I have brought some rooms down for for far too long, I have, I have brought rooms down with, by cutting friends down, by, by being critical. And yet the Lord, he's, he's just so good to us. He's been so good to me. Because if you're faithfully pursuing Him, He is going to show you your sin. He is going to show you those shortcomings, those, those blind spots that you miss. Because here's the reality. God loves us enough to accept us where we're at, but He loves us too much to let us stay there. And so I'm just so thankful that he's been bringing this stuff to my, my, uh, to my attention, to bringing it to the surface now while my children are still young. You see, because here's the reality. Each person in our life has a, a meter on their forehead that when they see you, either goes like this. Hey, dad's home. Or, oh man, dad's home. And I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old and two five-month-old twins, as you just saw. And right now, they still get very excited when I come into a room or when I pull in the driveway at night. In fact, I even took a little video. I decided not to show it because it's only five seconds. But uh, the other night, I I pulled in at home. And as I'm pulling into our driveway, I see Hudson uh, pulling the curtains back. And he spots me. And then he dashes through the house. He runs uh, out through our house, down uh, the steps, and meets me at my car by the time I open the door. And he was just so excited to see me. And it was a very special moment because I realized something. The Lord's been showing me that that I can get into a habit of constantly correcting my children and picking at them. And yes, they're five and three and they need a lot of correction. I'm not saying that they don't. But what I am saying is that if I'm not careful, one day I'm going to pull into that driveway and they're going to say, Oh man, dad's home. Or I'm going to walk into a room and they're going to shut down and stop talking. You see this happen all the time with, with teenagers, with their parents. That's why Chris shared last week, it's, it's so important that we're careful with our words because we can unintentionally communicate to our kids that to be loved, to be accepted, they have to be perfect. You see, our criticism, as he shared it, it, it makes others insecure it makes them feel like they have to walk around on eggshells. You see, again, if you and I, if we are not careful, all of our relationships can go from encouraging and infirm, affirming in the beginning to critical and negative over time. You know, you see this when you have a baby. You bring that thing home, that child home. Not a thing. Unless, uh, this, is, <laughs> unless this is Dr. Seuss. Uh, they, are, they are a human, a child. You bring that baby home. And you just are so, you just dote on them. You just love them so much. You're so encouraging. You know, they, they, don't, they have a reflex and they smile. And yet you're like, no, that's a smile. And I'm just so proud of you, son, that you're smiling at, at two months old. You're, you're ahead of all your peers. But then that child, you know, they move on and, and they become one. They become two. And then you start bringing some correction in. You know, buddy, don't touch that. Hey, hey, make sure you wipe your shoes, you know. And on it goes. And then by the time they're a teenager, if you're not careful, you might be making statements like this. You, you never do anything right. You always do such and such. And so again, it's just this progressive slide from encouraging down to critical and negative. You see it in, in uh, relationships with, with uh, marriage or whatever. You know that you're, in the beginning you're dating and you're writing poems and love letters and, you know, it's just so encouraging. And then you get married that first year and, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, you're, you're one of those people. You, you don't put the toilet lid down when you're done. I didn't, I didn't realize I was marrying a guy who doesn't put the toilet lid down. And you just begin to you know, get those comments in there. I didn't realize I married someone who's going to burn the dinner every night. But if you're not careful, you'll become one of those couples that, that you can see at a restaurant who all the joy, all the lightheartedness has gone out of the relationship and you watch them eat and all you hear is you know, that, that noise of the silverware clinking against the plate. There's no conversation, there's no joy, there's no lightheartedness again. The playfulness is gone. You see, here's the thing. A, a lack of affirmation and encouragement is devastating to relationships. In fact, it's one of the leading causes of divorces and affairs, right? Because if you're constantly getting cut down and criticized at home, and yet you go to work or you go to the gym and and someone starts affirming you, someone starts telling you how great you are, that is a very dangerous situation. You see, again, you and I, if we're not careful, we will get into a rut where we, we criticize those closest to us instead of affirming them. Uh, One book I've been reading that's been so helpful is called Practicing Affirmation by a guy named Sam Crabtree, And, and in the book he writes this. He says, "'Occasions to correct keep arriving like a treadmill in perpetual motion. You left the lights on in the car, dear. Finish your homework, son. Late again? Not that way, this way. Individually, these are innocuous and one might argue necessary.' But they pile up, and if not counterbalanced by an overwhelming gang of affirmations, they take over the flavor of the relationship. One hair in a casserole may not even be noticed, yet enough hair will result in choking. Some may even choke at the thought of a hair in the food. Similarly, people may emotionally choke at the thought of any more correction coming from us. The importance of affirmation does not entirely remove the place of correction. We're going to live with sinners. We're going to marry a sinner. Our children will be sinners. Our parents are sinners. The people around us are going to pull boneheaded moves. And in love, it will sometimes be our place to point them out. They are going to smell bad. And it's our job to inform them of that before they go out in public. They will burn the burgers. They will do something that is mediocre. They will hurt the team and waste household finances or something else regrettable. But love does not first look for ways to correct. Think this way. Give so many affirmations as a pattern, a way of life, that you gain a reputation for it. That you are known for your affirmations, not your criticisms, your corrections. He goes on, he says, In Acts 4.36, Barnabas is called the son of encouragement. What's my reputation? Mr. Krabby Pants? Old Lady Battleaxe? I don't even know what that means, but it's funny. Uh, Miss Nitpick? We should unleash so many affirmations that those around us lose track. You see, what Crabtree is saying there is this. He's saying, yes, corrections are necessary. But if you and I, if we get that ratio if we get that balance of corrections and affirmations out of whack, we are going to change the flavor of our relationships. You see, the thing we need to realize is this that it's a lot easy to it's very easy to overlook affirmations, to overlook those things that people do well. But it's a lot harder to overlook the things that they do bad or or the things that they do incorrect or those things that need corrected. And so you and I, we're going to have to do some hard work to reverse that, to to fight that tendency. And so if this hits you and convicts you like it does me, maybe you're wondering, can we change? Can we be different? And if so, how? Well, let's keep reading in our story back in the book of Acts. So uh, keep looking in Acts chapter 11, and we'll pick it up in verse 19. So again, at the beginning of Acts 11, we see Peter get criticized by taking the gospel to the Gentiles, but in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, we read this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And, a, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And so, basically, what's going on there is that due to some persecution, some believers end up getting scattered into Antioch, which was a pagan Roman city. And while they're there, they end up preaching the gospel to some Hellenists, some, some Gentiles. And, and, and these uh, people, in fact, put their faith in Christ. And so the word of this gets back to the church in Jerusalem. And so they decide to send Barnabas to check it out. Well, let's keep reading how Barnabas responds. Verse 23. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is so cool. This is so encouraging. This is what kind of jumped out to me last week while I was reading this in our reading plan. So the church decides to send Barnabas to these Gentile believers. But instead of responding with criticism like the circumcision party, he instead responds by being happy and encouraging them. In other words, he responds by elevating the room. You see, the, the, the Greek word there for, in verse 23 for glad, it's one of those Greek words that, that we talked about a few weeks ago, which means rejoice or happy. And the word there in verse 23 that says exhorted, most translated, uh, translators use the word encourage. So in other words, you could appropriately and accurately read verse 23 as this. When he, Barnabas, came and saw the grace of God, he was happy and he encouraged them. And then I just love verse 24, how uh, Luke, the author of this book, just gives us some commentary. He just kind of adds in there and talking about Barnabas. He says, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. I mean, how would you like to be described like that I know that I would. And again the reason that this passage jumped out to me is because it tells us how and why Barnabas was able to be encouraging to be able to praise these young new Gentile believers look back down at verse 23. It says that when he came and saw the grace of God. So how was Barnabas able to praise instead of criticize? Well, he was able to because by the power of the Holy Spirit, he looked for and he saw the grace of God in those young believers' lives. And the thing about it is, is that you know, if you think about it, that young church, that church in Antioch of of Gentile believers, you know that they had to have been a mess. They were probably doing all kinds of things wrong. They were, uh, you know, there was definitely a lot of sin and, and pagan traditions that were still being worked out of their lives, In other words, there was probably plenty to be critical about. And yet Barnabas looked for, and he saw, and he celebrated the grace of God, and he affirmed it in their lives. And that idea, that principle, really is the key to happy praise, or to being able to elevate the room. You see, every human being has evidences of God's grace in their lives, including unbelievers. Right? Because if you ever met a non-Christian who occasionally tells the truth. It may be one out of ten, but occasionally they tell the truth. Well, telling the truth is a Christ-like character quality, and therefore, when a non-Christian tells the truth, they are giving evidence of God's grace in their life. It may be God's common grace over all of humanity, but it's God's grace nonetheless, and it can be, and you could even say it should be pointed out and affirmed. And so if that's true of non-Christians, how much more evident, how much more prevalent is the grace of God in in the life of a Christian? And here's the crazy part. This is the reason why this is included in this series. When you and I, when we affirm and praise others, we actually increase our own happiness. Again, look what it says in in, in, uh, verse uh, 23. It says, when Barnabas saw the grace of God, he was glad. Or in other words, he was happy. And not only that, but I'm sure that as he went on to encourage them, to to speak words of affirmation, to speak life over them, that his happiness and his joy only increased. Right, Because it's really hard to to praise and to encourage someone else and then have it not increase your own joy along the way. We really see that principle illustrated in in Proverbs 11.25. The theologians have called this the boomerang effect. It says this, it says, whoever, bless, whoever brings blessing will be enriched. The one who waters will himself be watered. And so this is so encouraging that praising others will actually increase our own joy and happiness. And so being an encouragement, speaking words of affirmation is something that we can do and something that we should do. In fact, it's something that we see commanded in the word. We see it in places like Hebrews 3.13 and 1 Thessalonians 5.11 and and others. But what if you're like me and you stink at this? What if God in His uh, humor or perhaps his, His grace more like it had you marry someone, had you become best friends with someone whose love language is words of affirmation and yet it's the hardest thing for you to do? What if that is your scenario and you're like me? Well, the first place we can start is by repenting. You see, it's not too late. That's what I, was so encouraging this week as I realized that, that it's not too late. The, the author of Practicing Affirmation, he talks about how, how uh, when we speak words of affirmation, it's like depositing money into a bank account. But then when we use correction, even if it's, it's, it, you know, it's appropriate, even when it's not harsh or critical, even when we just correct, it's like writing a check. And so some of us, myself included, we have overdrafted the account too many times. We've bounced some checks. But the good news is, is that today, you and I, we can change that. We can begin to deposit some encouraging words into the lives of those around us. And so we can repent. We can ask God. We can pray. We can ask Him to make us an encourager. We can ask Him to give us a heart that loves others. We can ask Him to give us the creativity to know how to show it. We can ask Him to kill the pride in our lives that often prevents us from doing this. We can ask Him to give us eyes like Barnabas so that we can see evidences of grace in others' lives. We can meditate and study the life of Barnabas and ask God to make us more like him. We can study the Scriptures and see all the ways that God is affirming and encouraging to us. I mean, how insane is it that the God of the universe affirms and praises his own creation, especially in its broken and fallen nature. You know, a few weeks ago, Chris shared uh, out of the passage in Matthew with the, the parable of the talents, and, and he focused on the part where, his, uh, where, where the master says to, to the servants, enter into the joy of your master. And so he talked about how our God is a happy God who, who invites us to share his happiness. Well, right before that, the master says, well done, good, and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So not only does he want to invite us into his joy, but he also speaks affirmation and encouragement over us. So we can meditate on that passage and others like it. Here's the thing I've been learning, though, that that also is something that we need to do. This will most likely not happen in my life or in your life without you being intentional, without some discipline. Right? Because, you know, I've, I've tried to just do better before, and it hasn't worked yet. And here's how one pastor, Tim Chalice, put it. He said this I realized through God's work in my heart that I was often being a discouragement to other people. I tended towards the pessimistic and the sarcastic, and the seldom sought to bring encouragement. And so I put some effort into cultivating a spirit of encouragement. I initially found this to be a difficult task. One would not think it difficult to be an encourager, but I found that it was truly difficult to reverse course. I would be encouraging for a short time, but I would soon slip back into old patterns I continued to be a discouragement. One day, though, it occurred to me that I was going to have to discipline myself to encourage others. And so I took the strange and seemingly artificial step of calendaring time to encourage others. It sounds strange, I know, but I opened my Outlook calendar and I created five-minute appointments recurring every three days. The appointment simply said, encourage. And so every third day while I was hard at work, a little reminder would flash up on my screen, encourage. And I would take the opportunity to quickly phone a friend or dash off an email to someone I felt was in need of encouragement. This felt very artificial, In fact, I felt like a fraud, as I, with a heart of discouragement, attempted to be an encouragement to others. But as time went on, it began to become quite natural. I soon found that I no longer felt the same spirit of discouragement within me. Encouragement slowly became more natural. What had begun as a discipline that felt artificial soon became a habit that felt natural. And so maybe for some of us, myself included, maybe... What we need to do this afternoon is to do something as ridiculous, something as practical as putting a reminder in our phones to be an encouragement to others. You see, I think if you're like me and you're prone to negativity and criticism, the only way that this is actually going to be different in your life is you're going to have to really want to change. You're going to have to want to be different enough that you're willing to beg God through prayer to change you but not only that, you're going to have to step out and practice encouraging others. And again, it's going to be awkward. You know, I, I shared first service. I, I tried this out on my best friend, Nicholas Shivo. I walked into his office earlier this week and I just said, you know, brother, I just want to tell you. And he's just looking at me like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I just want to tell you, man, I, I love you. I appreciate you. And I pointed to a specific area of grace that I see in his life. And it was awkward and we joked about it. But, but I was being genuine and I know that he believes that. And again, it was awkward, but I had to fight through that. Again, we're going to have to step out and practice encouraging others until this becomes a pattern, until it becomes a habit in our lives. And so, in closing, band, uh, you can go ahead and work your way up here. But if you're in Christ this morning, God's desire for you is that you be a blessing to others. His desire for his body, his church, is that that we would love and build one another up. And one of the primary ways that we build one another up is by affirming and encouraging them, by speaking life to one another. It says in Proverbs 18, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so let's pray and let's ask God to make us the kind of people who speak life and not death to those around us let's pray father god we thank you so much that you are a god of encouragement god we thank you that even after the fall you could have ended the story of redemption there but because of your love because of of your great mercy lord you introduced a new chapter you introduced the story of redemption you set into motion a plan to, to send your son to redeem this world so that one day we could stand before you and hear you even say, well done, good and faithful servant. So Father, would you give us a heart like that? Would you give us a heart like your son Jesus? God, like, a heart like a man like Barnabas, who by your grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was able to encourage and bless others. So help us, Father. We need your grace to be able to do this. Father, we also just ask now that you would take our tithes and our offerings, Lord, and that you would use them to bless this church, to be able to to use us to spread your gospel around this city, around the world. So thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness and your blessings in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.